Welcome. We are back, folks. This is the Pound the Table podcast. I am your host, the NFL Always Offseason GM, Fred. And we've got a great show lined up here today. Uh, we're going to get into part three of our summer scouting. Uh, we're going to discuss uh, edge defenders, interior D linemen, and linebackers for the upcoming uh, college football season and the 2022 NFL draft. And uh, first and foremost, though, there was quite a bit of NFL news that came out. So we're going to make sure we touch on all the subjects here. And uh, without further ado, let's roll right into that. So the first piece of NFL news I want to touch on, it's actually hot off the press here today. Uh, I actually have to go back and uh, re-record all of this because I had it all ready to roll. And then this actually came to light about midday today. So Aaron Rodgers reportedly has come to an agreement with the Packers front office to play for the team in 2021. And essentially they redid his contract to have a void year in 2023. So his last season would be this coming season and he would be a free agent in 2022. So this next off season. Uh, basically uh, how it's been positioned is he's going to have a little bit of control, a little bit of a uh, say in some personnel moves uh, the deal did free up a little bit of cap space we'll get into that in a moment but uh, also the important part here is he has the option to re-up with the Packers at the end of the year and revisit the situation to see if it's any better with Gunta Kunst and uh, Mark Murphy in the front office or if he chooses to part ways with the Packers he'll be able to do so on his own terms so this is monumental news uh, this is kind of the, the the bombshell everybody's been waiting for all offseason and we get it here finally just before training camp so it's let me repeat this isn't official yet i don't believe like any nothing's been like put into motion or anything like that but it's 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 basically a mutually agreed upon terms and the important thing is here is he's coming to play for the green bay packers which i was pretty sure all along like i was 90 99 95% sure he wasn't going anywhere else uh, you could just read the tea leaves that it just didn't make sense for both parties to part or to to sit out this year but either way uh it just kind of contradicts the report that we got this past weekend from Pro Football Talk, Mike, Mike Florio, that uh, Rodgers was looking to sit out this entire year and retire. So, huge bombshell. He's coming back to play for the Pack in 2022. Now, if we touch on the personnel decisions, and there's actually one report that came leaked out, uh, I believe it was from either Rappaport or Schefter, that the Packers are exploring reacquiring Randall Cobb which makes sense when you look at the the cap space uh, reconfiguration here and the move that was made uh, presumptively that we'll get to later in the podcast. But essentially, they want to bring in Randall Cobb from the Houston Texans. They'd have to trade for him. He's got about an $8.25 million salary for this year. So that's a pretty big hit. So that it makes sense that they had to rework some of Aaron Rodgers' numbers. But nonetheless, he gets his guy. We all know that he's good buds with Randall Cobb. So he gets his guy to come join back up with him here in Green Bay. So that's fairly large news as well. But also at the same light, after this comes to the fourth hour here and we're getting real close to camp and we heard that contract negotiations that broke off with Devontae Adams, in the same light, we also hear today that it magically, as soon as Rodgers says he's coming to camp, we now hear that the conversation's been struck back up with Devontae Adams and they've re-engaged him in contract negotiations. I don't know if this is a product of the, the Packers kind of clearing up some cap space with this move with Aaron, but nonetheless, it seems like they're going to re-up everybody here. And uh, I'm, I'm kind of conflicted on two fronts here because, one, we get we get Aaron Rodgers back. We get, you know, the last dance everybody's been talking about. We get one last go at this thing to make a run for it. And, and as a fan, there's nothing more 
that there's nothing better than seeing your team just go for it. I love I love it when teams just go all in. They push their chips to the table. It's beautiful when you watch it in like basketball and like the NBA when these teams just take every last pick they got, they trade everything they got, they go for it, and it actually happens. You know, Toronto Raptors 2019, the Milwaukee Bucks this year trading four first-round picks for Drew Holiday. I love it when teams do this kind of stuff. And the Green Bay Packers are there's no different no difference here. They're going for it. They're re-upping their guy. They said, okay, we'll we'll let you walk for free at the end of the season. We'll take the third round comp pick. And guess what? We'll run we'll run it back with Jordan Love after that. Uh, who knows if that actually happens or not, but I could see it very, very, very easily happening next year. But just love it when teams go for it. They're getting their guys, they're getting the band back together. They're going to make one last goal at it. They know the window's short. They know the window's open. Let's go get it. Let's make some noise. So huge news on the Packers front. Uh, it kind of basically set the tone for the whole offseason here. Turning our lens down to New Orleans, the Saints actually had their wide receiver star as well have some some issues this past week. It turns out that Michael Thomas, the all-pro receiver, uh, recently, or not recently, I should say back in June, had a procedure done on his ankle that's going to keep him sidelined at least, I believe it was four months was what I heard. So four months puts him at a, at a tying table to return around like October, November. So if that's all's, all's that well ends well, he'll be back in October, November. But nonetheless, it's it's apparently similar to the ailment that kept him out most of the season last year. Uh, the, the number one question I have here is how come... How come we just didn't have this procedure earlier, uh, say January, February, when the Saints were eliminated and he could have been had ready to go by training camp here? Uh, I, I just don't understand why he waited so long to get this done. Or maybe it was like a, a cleanup from one that he already had done. Uh, I think there's a lot of questions to be asked here. But nonetheless, it, Saints lose a key piece of their offense for what looks to be the foreseeable future uh, there in New Orleans. The last piece of, or excuse me, not the last piece of information, but the next piece of information I wanted to go over was Deshaun Watson reporting to the Houston Texans. He's expected as of this morning to report to Houston, where it's previously been well known that he is not very happy there, but uh, he'll avoid any fines, obviously. He won't be fined for not being at camp, failure to report and holding out, but it, it, it it's speculated that he still wants out. He still wants to get get out of Houston. And basically, he's not on the exempt list, which is the surprising part here. So basically, he can report, he can participate in camp, and he can get traded. But he obviously still has his legal obligations out there, which I, I'm not going to get too involved in whether he did, whether he didn't, or what's going on there. But normally, if in that situation, you end up on the exempt list where you're not able to compete, but I still believe you're paid. So in this situation, he's not on the exempt list. He's not suspended. He's reporting. He's not getting docked pay, and he still wants out of Houston. So stay tuned here. Uh, there's a lot of teams that could get involved. Uh, Miami previously was mentioned. Uh, I know the Philadelphia Eagles have a ton of capital. I think they have like three first-round picks if Wentz plays in a certain amount of games this year for next year that they could load up and try to trade for him. Uh, and they could send back Jalen Hurts if they really wanted for Houston, but just just stay tuned. I think that'll be a an interesting situation to unfold. And I do apologize for having so many bits of recent recent NFL news. I know we just it's been so slow all summer, and now here it's just finally starting to heat up. But uh, 
I was just going to mention a couple transactions before we got to our last point. Uh, D.D. Westbrook signed with the Minnesota Vikings. Uh, I was kind of confused that he wasn't signed earlier. Maybe it was just money information here. He's always been a decently reliable receiver. And I think that he'll obviously man that like third, fourth receiver job in Minnesota. Uh, kind of give him a good fallback option. I've always been a big D.D. Westbrook fan, especially when he was in Oklahoma. So... The last transactional piece I wanted to touch on as well, too, was the Anthony Miller trade. Uh, It's basically a a swap of late-round picks, and also the Chicago Bears are sending Anthony Miller to the Houston Texans, which for Texans, (laughs) I don't like what they do normally, but this isn't a bad idea. It's It's a guy that was disgruntled. He wasn't used right in Chicago, didn't like his situation there. And basically, it's it's a low-risk flyer. I mean, I'm guessing it's probably like a fifth and a sixth-round flop. So, I mean, you're you're not really losing much there. And you get a guy that could have some serious potential upside. He was a former second-round pick. So kind of like what Houston did there, but he's most likely going to slot in at like a fourth or fifth receiver job. He's going to have to work his way up there. And then that just brings us to our last point here. And this is kind of the biggest one. So that's why I wanted to get to it last because it's probably going to take a couple minutes here. But... The NFL came out and they discussed how they're going to handle the COVID, uh, excuse me, COVID regulations this this year, and basically they're making it almost impossible for you to play unvaccinated or highly disadvantageous to play unvaccinated. Essentially, what's going to happen is if a certain percentage of your team is unvaccinated, they're going to have heavy protocols similar to what they did last year. But if you're a certain percentage of your team is vaccinated, then you can pretty much operate as normal. And I think I read somewhere that a vaccinated player is only going to be tested 14 times a year, which is pretty cool. That's a, it's a low number compared to last year. And an unvaccinated player is going to be tested around 140 times a year, which is absolutely crazy to me. So this situation is going to really, I think, this is going to be bigger than pretty much any transactional information you're going to hear you could hear this get pretty serious especially with like the players union getting involved because i think there's going to be a lot of like higher profile guys like there's a big one over the weekend here with deandre hopkins saying like hey i have to really think about what i'm doing here and cole beasley hasn't been very quiet about whether or not he's gonna or whether he's gonna get vaccinated or not he's clearly not getting vaccinated and he's basically told bills cut me if you're not going to but i think it could get a little messy just because like some of these players, like it's reported that there's high profile players that don't want to get vaccinated and it's it's going to create some serious issues for teams because the teams just want them to do it so they can have more detailed, more le- or less regulated off-season ac- or in-season activities. It's important to have these meetings with everybody there and not doing them on Zoom. It's important to have practices without restrictions. So I just think that it's going to create a lot of strife here and it's it's... It's interesting to me that we haven't heard anything from the players' union here, and basically saying how they're going to back this up, how they're going to counteract this, because it's almost kind of backdoored by the owners. They after the deadline for players to opt in or opt out, they come up with all these regulations and say, "Hey, it's going to be really hard for you to play football not vaccinated." But nonetheless, it's going to be very interesting how it unfolds, especially now that like training camp is like right here now, so. We'll have to stay tuned there. We'll have to stay tuned with a lot of those situations, especially the Deshaun Watson, the Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams situation. But nonetheless, football's back, and it's definitely bringing us a lot of information. So rolling right over into our summer scouting series here, part three, 
Uh, it's going to be interior D linemen, edge defenders, and off-ball linebackers. So basically, I got, I'm going to just go through my top three again here at each position. And I'm going to start off with the interior defensive lineman. And <laughs> the first one is a doozy. He's actually currently, as it stands, the number three overall player that I've watched from this past year going into this year. And it's going to be DeMarvin Leal, the uh, interior D lineman. I think he's listed at for Texas A&M. And this guy is a monster. He's very close to Kayvon Thibodeau as being like my top defender in this draft. He... I think he's listed at like 290. He's a huge, huge, huge D lineman, but he moves like he's like this speedy edge defender. Like I would not be surprised to see this guy come in at like 290, 295 at the combine and run like a 4647. This dude can get off the ball. And he's even got a little, like they play him at the edge spots. They'll kick him out and he, he's, he's winning with speed. He's winning with power. He's winning with everything. And the only reason. I don't have him over Kayvon Thibodeau, as I just think Thibodeau's a little bit more elite as a pass rusher. But when we're talking about my third overall prospect here, this is still an extremely, extremely talented player. And just keep your eyes out because this guy's going to be making an absolute ton of noise in the SEC this year. So Kayvon Thibodeau, number one uh, interior D lineman. Wouldn't be surprised if they end up ranking him at edge, but just as it stands for now. So next up for interior defensive lineman, my second ranked lineman on the interior, obviously, is going to be Haskell Garrett, the interior D lineman out of Ohio State. So Haskell Garrett is he's he's quite the specimen when you turn on the film. I think it was might have been the Penn State game. It was the Penn State game or their first uh, round of the playoff. I can't remember, but I'm pretty sure it was against the Nittany Lions. And you watch him, and he just like explodes off the ball and this is like a 300 pound human being and he just like completely blows up their interior d line and like shoots across i don't think he makes the play but just like even being able to do that is to move a, a human being that is like 300 pounds that quick that fast with the snap of the ball i was like okay this guy's got my attention here and you just watch him and he's just he's so explosive with his hands and he's able to just move people just with ease, it almost looks like. These guys are just like on skates the entire time. Every time he pops them, they're just jumping right back. And I think he's he's really he's really able to kind of knife through linemen. I see him use swims. I'm I'm okay with his swim move too. It's like he's using his hands well. He's really explosive at the point of contact. He's really quick off the ball, especially for being like a three hundred pound guy. That I really think he could he could translate to the next level. He could be like a three four uh, three tech or like a four of three interior guy. So I think he's really going to have a, a role, especially you don't have to take him off the field on passing downs. I think he's explosive enough. I think he can use his hands enough to win inside, especially at pa for the pass rush on the inside. It's not a guy like DeMarvin Leo where we're going to bump him outside and think he's going to win off the edge. He ain't, he ain't that kind of guy. He's not that fast, but he's definitely got a role. And I really, really like the potential he's got. I think I, I believe I have him currently at a first round grade as well too. So this, this interior D lineman group is already looking up compared to this past year. And then next up on my list is I, I wasn't, wasn't quite as impressed. There's a little bit of a gap here. But the next up guy is going to be Jordan Davis. He's the interior D lineman out of Georgia. And Jordan Davis is an absolute mammoth of a man. I wouldn't be surprised he weighs in like 330, 350. And what surprised me is he's obviously for that size, he's not very quick. He's not a guy that you're going to be like, hey, we're going to throw you – 
you know, three tech on a passing down and let you rush the passer. He's just a guy that's going to plug holes in the middle. He's a guy that's going to be able to eat blocks, you know, two, three guys, take up space. And he uses his hands pretty decently. But what was impressive to me is, especially in the run game, is he is so explosive for a man of his size. Like, when he's just on the field and, like, he he isn't spent, he isn't gassed, you know, his stamina's up. He's able to just, like, move people at will and just kind of do what he wants with everybody. And that's what was impressive to me. I just don't think that he's going to be an every-down player. That's the only thing that's driving him down my board here. And just the lack of pass rushes, that's the only reason why I don't think he's going to be, like, you know, a first, second, third-round guy. But nonetheless, like, a third, fourth-round range, like, having, like, a space eater interior t- kind of guy, kind of like Tyler Shelvin in this past draft. You know, if you're looking for that type of guy, here's your answer. Jordan Davis, he'll do it for you at a high level. For edge defenders this year, it's going to be a little bit more of an exciting group here as we move through things. Just because in the this past year, there was not really that high-end guy where, you know, you could expect to be like a top 10 type of talent that you're getting in normal years. But essentially, uh, we're, we're going to get a lot of high-end talent in this draft. And right at the top is going to be Kayvon Thibodeau. I kind of <laughs> let into it and kind of spoiled it there in the last segment with DeMarvin Leal. But Kayvon Thibodeau is a true junior for Oregon. Last This past year, he had 25 solo tackles, 17 assists. You know, that's 42 total tackles, 9.5 for a loss with three sacks. And when you turn on the film, you can tell this guy is making an absolutely huge impact. You can tell teams are game planning for this guy. The number one thing I noticed is they're always trying to option him. They're trying to make it so they don't have to block him. Or they're constantly running zone plays away from him so he has to be the chase down guy rather than try to be the guy in the front edge setting the edge. But he's able to make these plays. He's he's still making an impact. And I know the stats aren't really showing it for this last year. And that's mainly because the Pac-12 kind of had this goofy, like, short shortened year. But still, when you look at his freshman year, he had nine sacks and 14 tackles for a loss. As a true freshman, this is a guy that's just making a name for himself. And I, I fully expect him to, like, just absolutely light the world on fire in the Pac-12 this next year. He's so fast. He's so explosive off the edge. He's able to use his hands. He gets the only thing that is a negative to his game, and it's not really a negative, is he doesn't really make an impact in the run game when he's getting double teamed. He's getting washed quite a bit. But obviously, when you're getting double teamed, it's it's tough to beat that. But if we can, you know, add about 15, 20 pounds of this guy's frame, help him kind of set his anchor down and use his hands to beat these blocks, split the blocks, start making plays there. This, this is a guy that has zero holes. This is a guy that can really actually challenge for the number one overall pick. He's he's, in, He's got the talent to do so. Like, the production is not terrible. We get even more production. Wouldn't be surprised to see this guy coming first off the board this year. But uh, Kayvon Thibodeau, Oregon edge defender, he's my number one guy. And then next up, my second overall guy here is going to be Nick Benito out of Oklahoma. So Nick Benito is a undersized, excuse me, undersized edge defender. I think he's listed at like 6'3", like 240, which is kind of slim. But really at that size, you can almost fit, slot in at like a 3'4 outside backer where you could work with him and get him to do some pass drops. I don't necess- I didn't really see him do a lot of that on film. But, I mean, the name of his game, you can guess it. He's winning with speed, and he does it pretty pretty consistently. Uh, 
I believe he is a red shirt junior. Let me just double check on that before we get too crazy here. Yep, so he is a redshirt junior. In this past season at Oklahoma, he ended up tallying 19 solo tackles, 14 assists, 9 sacks. He had two passes defensed and an 11 and a half tackles for a loss. So pretty respectable numbers, especially in a pass-heavy uh, Big 12. He's getting a lot of opportunities to rush the passer. And as you can guess, the number one knock on his game is going to be his size. And... I just don't know if he's even got, like, the length to add too much more weight. Like, you don't want to see a guy that's, like, 6'3", also, and, like, bulk up to, like, 270. Like, you're, you're going to have to start knocking him, putting his hand there, put him in, like, a 3 or 5 tech. But I really like – I think he can get up to, like, a 255. Uh, 260 is even pushing it. 250, 255, and really be a, an elite outside linebacker in, like, a 3-4 scheme. I think you'd have to work with him on, like, his pass drops. But I, he's definitely still got some serious pass rush potential. And when you turn on the film, he I think he's got the quickest first step in college football. I think he's a little bit quicker in Kayvon Thibodeau. But Thibodeau's size and length gives him a little bit more advantage there. So Nick Benito, another name to watch for in the upcoming season here. Next up on our list here is going to be Drake Jackson. He's going to be the edge defender out of USC. In this past season, uh, he tallied up. Eight solo tackles, 12 assists, five and a half for a loss with two sacks and a pick. And this one might be a little bit more projection just because his stats at this point really aren't backing up what I'm or what you what you see what you're seeing on tape. And this is an explosive dude. He is fast. This is a this could be your highest riser. Like the difference between him and Benito is Benito's more of a finished project. But like he's got like a high floor, low ceiling kind of guy. This is a kind of guy that's got high, high ceiling. Kind of his floor is a little bit below Benito at this point. But this is the dude that's got all the potential in the world. Uh, he's just got to put it together. So let's. I mean, we can run down the list here. We got Kayvon Thibodeau, proven production, proven athleticism, proven uh, potential. Nick Benito, proven stats, not as much potential. And then you got Drake Jackson, hasn't really proven much, huge potential. Uh, I think I think he's listed at like 6'4", 255, so he's got the length. He can even add a little bit more size to help in the run game. But this is a dude that first step, get off, he's going to be able to challenge Thibodeau. He's going to be able to challenge uh, Benito for that. But he's going to also have the leverage, the same leverage that uh, Thibodeau's got, where he's they're 6'4", 6'5", and they're going to be able to get a little bit more lean. When they come with that one arm off the edge, they're going to be able to you know, jack the tackle right up and kind of get what they want out of it. And he's, not, he's, he's pretty good with his hands right now, but we just need to see a little bit more from him at this point. So number three edge defender is going to be Drake Jackson. And for the last group that I wanted to touch on here for the part three of the summer scouting today is going to be the linebackers. So basically like your off-ball linebackers since we kind of grouped all edge defenders together. So number one on the list here, uh, starting out, is going to be Christian Harris, the linebacker out of Alabama. So when I was watching Christian Harris, uh, I, I know he's highly touted right now. I think a lot of places have him as like a first-round grade on this guy. And in my opinion, he's still a great player, but I have like a second-round grade on him. Uh, just in my opinion, in today's NFL, 
if you're going to be a first round linebacker, you know, in, in that top end of the range, you're going to have to do something that's dynamic. When you look at it, like Micah Parsons is like a truly elite dude. He could do it all. He could, he could drop in coverage. He could play off ball, support the run. And he was a great, I almost thought he was like a better edge defender. So he adds another dimension to his game. And when I, when I was watching Christian Harris, I didn't really see that. I see more of a guy that's like an off ball type of guy. That's is he's super athletic in the box. He's, he's really shifty. He's able to, to beat blocks inside, but just didn't do anything super dynamic other than that. I didn't see like elite coverage and I didn't see uh, elite blitzing talent, but it's, it's not to say that he can't develop that. It's not to say that he can't do that, like, well. I just don't see, like, this elite uh, top-end talent in those regards there. So, uh, just in my opinion, Christian Harris is still the number one linebacker. It's just not, you know, top-end of the first-round type of talent like we've seen in years past. So, and then next up on my list here is going to be number two. It's going to be another linebacker. I apologize if I butcher this name here, but it's going to be Edifuan Elifuisho. Uh, he's the linebacker out of Washington. Uh, I actually really like uh, uh, this uh, linebacker, Edifuan. Uh, and really, the, the distance between him and Christian Harris, in my opinion, is it's very, it's very slim. It's not as big as you think it is, the, the gap in talent here. And what I liked is he, he's got the in, you know, your typical off-ball linebacker in box talent where he can support the run, but he's almost like a more slender build, a more lanky build, and he's he, he gets, he's, I don't want to say he's elite, but he's got top-end talent in pass coverage. He, he really reminds me of uh, Deion Jones, and uh, in today's NFL, Deion Jones really thrives as like a sideline-to-sideline, real elite athletic defender. And... Honestly, I, I might be a little bit biased as well, too, because I was a huge fan of Deion Jones. Uh, I thought he was, like, the best linebacker for, you know, the back end of the 2010s there. So, uh, Edifon Elifuisho really reminds me of that. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I think he could even rise even further if he could throw on a little bit of weight and show he's a little bit more diverse in either, like, the blitz game or even in run support. Like I said, he's not, he's not terrible. He's an average run defender. And a great I would say not an elite but a great pass defender with even more potential to be better than that and then the last linebacker I wanted to touch on is actually a guy I just got to in the last few days here uh, originally I didn't have him ranked inside my top 50 at the moment but after watching this tape I was just kind of blown away and uh, it's going to be Henry 202 oh I, I apologize I'm going to butcher this one too the linebackers have some brutal names but Henry 202 oh uh, he was formerly of uh, Tennessee, transferred to Alabama. And when I was watching him, and don't get me wrong, he, he's by no means like this first-round talent. Same thing with these other guys. I, both graded second round in the last two. But for Henry, I'm seeing a guy that, another lanky linebacker. And what I like about these guys that are a little bit lankier at the position, uh, I think he's like listed at like 6'2", 6'3", like 230, is... It gives you a little more length in the passing game. It lets you get in those windows and helps you be a little bit more diverse in coverage, especially when you get into those drop zones in uh, zone coverage there. And I don't really think Tennessee did him any favors. I, I don't blame him for transferring. Uh, I don't know if it was coaching or what what it was, if it just wasn't calls being communicated well enough. But there's a lot of times when he was, like, manned up on running backs and it just 
it was, it was bad calls where they're like manning him up and he's got to like try to fight through like three different level defenders trying to get out and cover this running back and he just couldn't do it. Especially in the Texas A&M game, they were really, really exploiting him. But when I was watching him, uh, I watched the Texas A&M game first and he did like a really good job of finding, like he had a nose for finding these run lanes. And he was really explosive filling them. Like he, he'd shuffle through and then you see him plant and go. You stick it, get to the line of scrimmage, make the play. I wasn't afraid to stick his nose in there. He kind of got exposed in coverage a little bit. And it's not like he wasn't getting to his zones. He just wasn't able to, like, identify where the receiver's at once he gets there. He, he didn't really have a feel for it once he got there. I think, like I said, with his length, he can help develop that. And he, he's a he seems like a super great athlete. Like, I don't, I didn't really see any of his testing numbers. But just from what I could see on film, like, he was, he was really moving around on defense. He's really flying around. And he's... He's quick twitch almost, in my opinion. When he sees it, he goes. Just in coverage, he wasn't seeing it, and he wasn't making a play on the ball once he was seeing it. So I think he can develop that. I, I have a little bit, I'm a little bit higher on his projection and coverage just for the main reason of his length and his athleticism. But it, there's a little bit to be remained to be seen there. So all three of these guys are like second round grades on him, essentially. I don't really have him any higher than that. They obviously can make up some of that ground because each one of them has an area where they can improve. But really like all three of these guys, and I'm, I'm really excited, especially for uh, Edifuan and uh, Henry Tuo to, to see kind of what they can bring this year. I think they're two guys that can really raise their stock. So I appreciate everybody tuning in this week. A uh, huge show. Uh, the Aaron Rodgers news breaking. We wanted to make sure we get our take in on that. Uh, part three of the summer scouting. Love diving into some of these guys' draft profiles. Watching them's a lot of fun. So make sure you tune in next week. We're going to get into the, the part four, uh, the last part of the series, basically detailing the defensive backs in college football. So the corners, the safeties. We'll go into depth with them, guys. Maybe we'll include a couple more because it's a real deep class this year. But uh, once again, we appreciate everybody tuning in. I know with, uh, with the audio issues here, kind of, flying by the seat of my pants here with all the Aaron Rodgers news break and recording stuff last minute. So we appreciate everybody. Make sure to hit subscribe, leave us a review. Otherwise, we'll see you on Twitter, and we'll see you next week.